we're going to keep going looking at Jesus because that's what we've, we've been doing all year. He's not the Mongolian lamb. He's <laughs> at all. Um, and so I want us to have a look at this passage um, tonight. So for those who've you know, been around for a little bit, this passage of Scripture follows straight after um, Legion. So we, we spent two weeks looking at Legion where Jesus has crossed over to us one side of the lake and he's encountered the man who is full of demons and he restores him and then he comes back across the lake because they don't really want him over there. And this is like he comes back across the lake and this is what happens. So we're going to um, have a look at that. And I want someone to read it for me so it's not my voice all the time. And I, maybe a man. Who's got a good man voice? Simon. Can you read? You can, can you, actually, can you see it? Yeah, can you see that? When Jesus had again crossed over by boat, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see see all the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you, you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Wonderful. So we, this year, are really looking at Jesus. And so I want us to look at Jesus and what he's doing in this passage. 
And it's pretty clear in a way that the writer of Mark has put these two miracles side by side and they quite maybe did happen in that way. But it's unique because of the number 12 that's in the narrative. So we know that there's a connection being made between these two women. Um, One woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and one woman or one girl who's 12 years old. And they both have an encounter with Jesus and they're both healed and restored. And there's something going on that tells us what God is like. There's something going on that teaches us about Jesus in this um, passage. So I want us to, to, to really look at this and I'm going to share some of my, my thoughts as I've been just sitting in this passage for this week and, and thinking. So firstly, we're going to compare the pair. Um, <laughs> those of you... It's an Australian TV ad joke, so you guys don't even understand it. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, you know the ads, right? Compare the it's the it's that one, isn't it? Industry super fun. Anyway, um, we have a sick woman. We have a dead girl, or a, a sick and then dead girl. Um, so this woman has been sick for twelve years. Bleeding. Um, This girl has been alive for 12 years. This woman is unclean. She has spent all her money on doctors and has not gotten better but has gotten worse. And when you read between the lines of what is being said in this narrative, you get the picture that this woman is being exploited by the world around her. So she's done everything she can to be healed and she's still suffering. So we have this suffering, unclean woman. Now, she's unclean religiously and religion was their entire society. So she, for 12 years, is basically unable to function as a human person in her society because she's bleeding and that makes her unclean. So we get, they get this from Leviticus chapter 15. Let me read it to you. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, She will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while she's bleeding will be unclean. Anything that touches her while she's bleeding will be unclean. And anyone or anything that touches her must be washed um, and bathed and they will still be unclean until evening. So everything... And everyone this woman touches is unclean. That's a big deal in her society. Now, the other consequence of her being unclean is she would have been unable to enter any synagogue or any temple for 12 years. So she hasn't been able to worship her God and she hasn't been able to interact with people. Now, presumably she comes from a village where people know what's going on and so they wouldn't have wanted to be touched by her either because if they're touched by her, they're, you know, they, they have to 
you're unc- I mean, imagine, you know, having to do the washing every day because you accidentally touched that co-worker. You know, it's, she's unclean, she's at an outsider, she's suffering, she's exploited, she's the bottom of the rung in society. So that's this woman. The girl is probably not quite top of society because she's female, but is probably pretty close. She's the daughter of the synagogue leader. A synagogue leader would have had quite a decent amount of privilege and prestige in the village where he was from. And so by association being his daughter, she would have been close to the top of society. So these women are like opposite ends of society, one low, one high. Um, The sick woman is alone. Like, she has no one to speak for her. She has no one with her. She's on her own, absolutely by herself. Um, I think she's probably far from home. I say that because if she was in a crowd of people who knew her and knew who she was, they wouldn't be letting her be there. So I don't know how long she's been stalking Jesus and there was no Facebook back then. And he's, of course, crossed to one side of the lake and come back, so there's times when he just disappears. But I think she's been, like, she's down to her last straw and she's heard about him and she's seeking him out all by herself and she's in a place where she knows no one. Um, The girl, um, there is not even any dialogue by this girl in this whole thing. Her father speaks for her. So she has someone advocating on her behalf. She has someone who goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, um, my daughter is sick. So it's just such a contrast between these two women. And the sick woman is really quite audacious, totally gutsy to, to go beyond what is considered normal, to push through all the, thing, all the laws she's breaking Um, by being in the crowd and by being there just to try and touch Jesus. So she's quite bold and just risky and audacious. And then the girl, the only thing she really contributes to the story is being dead. Um, (laughs) She's, you know, there's no sort of sense of action on her part other than being sick and dying, Um, which is fine because it works for the story. I think this story um, is good news for everyone. When I read these stories and I'm thinking about Jesus and I'm thinking about how Jesus reveals God to us, I cannot help but fall more in love with God because because of who Jesus reveals God as is just so beautiful in this story. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people would argue that this is an example of Jesus' preference for the poor, and we do know that Jesus has a preference for the poor. Um, obviously, you know, we've got these two girls. I actually think more than that, it just shows Jesus' preference for relational connection. Because prior to actually having a conversation with the sick woman, he doesn't know who she is, but he still wants to know her. So it's just this this contrasting story, bottom of society, top of society, Jesus meeting both needs, Jesus wanting to connect with both people. That's good news for all of us. Wherever we are in society, whether we're on the bottom or on the top, Jesus is for us 
and he wants to connect with us, um, which I think is great news. Um, so let's just have a look at this sick woman, and I want to like just talk to you and pull out a few things, and we'll go from there. This woman, when she pushes through the crowd and she reaches out and it says she thinks to herself, if only I can touch just his clothing, I'll be healed. And she does that. She reaches out and she touches Jesus and he feels power go out of him and she feels healing happen in her body. So there is like this tangible feeling on both sides of this event where Jesus feels that something has happened and she knows that something has happened. And I think this is really an amazing thing for us to think about because what this says to me is that God has power and it is for us. Like it is just flowing for us and it is just rushing towards us and the flow of God is outward from who he is to us. This is really important for us as Christians to know. This is just one example in the Gospels of where we see God's power just flow and someone just touching that and being healed. Um, This was an unconscious miracle on Jesus' part. I don't know, it might be the only unconscious miracle we have recorded in the Gospels. He did not do this on purpose. There was no intention on his behalf to heal this woman. He didn't even know what was going on, but he felt power go out of him. That's why I say there is power flowing and it is towards us because Jesus wasn't intentionally trying to do anything other than walk to Jairus' house and he gets interrupted by power coming out of him because someone touched him, which says to me that there is a constant flow of God's power outwards that we can access and touch. That's good news. That's good news for everyone. And that kind of just emphasizes that the nature of reality is that God is for us. Now, we've said that a lot tonight. But when you catch that God is for you, he's not against you, that's really important for those of us who are following God. This means that it's not hard to access God, follow God, or please God. God is for you. He is on your side. He is towards you. If there was a flow, if we could like draw the flow of God, it would be rushing from him straight towards you. That's the nature of reality that Jesus shows us in this encounter. And it's wonderful. She reached out, she touched Jesus, and she simply encountered the reality of God's flow towards her. It's beautiful. Now, some people, I'm sure, in this place tonight are all well into miracles, have a lot of faith, have seen people get well. Um, And for you, praying for people and seeing this kind of, when I talk about God's power is there and it's for us, you're just like, yes, I believe that. You know, these are all quiet. So I'm I'm just thinking some of you are maybe introverted. Yes, I believe that. Um, (laughs) Others of us, probably have a measure of PTSD around faith healing stuff because 
when I say to you, you will know based on your inner reaction about when I say God has power and it's for you, how you feel about that statement. Some of you will be like, yes, it's true. And some of you will be like, really? I hear that in my head, but I don't feel that in my life. Okay? I want to say if that's you, and I'll say it to me too, that we still need to remember that God has power and it is for us even if we don't understand it. If that woman had stayed home, if that woman had just d- decided that being cynical or defeated or feeling hopeless was just more comfortable than being audacious, then it's likely she wouldn't have, in- have encountered God's power. So what I want to say, if you're not really sure where you feel about the whole miracle thing or the whole faith healing thing, is don't worry. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have an airtight theology around healing to simply reach out and ask God for his power. You can actually just say, God, I need your help, and just leave all of the like understanding of how that happens or doesn't happen or why or why not. Just, just forget about it. But do not let your cynicism or your hopelessness or your frustration stop you from still reaching out and saying, okay, I don't get this and I, I've done this before. I'm just going to do it again, God. Like that's, that's the posture we need to be able to have from this because I don't understand all of the healing dynamics and I don't know how to reconcile all of our unanswered prayers, but I do know and I deeply believe that God is powerful and his power is for us. So let's not get defeated. Let's just keep reaching out. And the other thing I want to say about the whole power dynamic about this is this. All her life, this woman has been told that everything she encounters and everyone she relates to, she defiles. Okay? Her very humanness, her very bodiliness. She's just a woman suffering from normal woman things, okay? She's not bad. This isn't sinful. This is just broken bodies doing what broken bodies do. But all her life, she's been told that she defiles everything around her with just her weakness, her sickness, her humanness. And yet when she encounters Jesus the real truth drops for everyone. And that is, we don't defile God with our humanness. He cleanses us. And this is important for us in all of our humanness. Because on so many levels, each one of us wrestle and struggle with just being human, with our sinfulness, with our bodiliness, with our shame, with our guilt, with our sin. And so often we can have a posture towards God which imagines that somehow if I was to come into a church or God's presence, that I'm going to somehow defile that space or defile God. But the truth is, it's the other way around. Whenever we come to God, he cleanses us. We cannot defile God. Our humanness is not an obstacle to God's grace and goodness. It's the very place of it. The fact that Jesus put on skin has redeemed humanity for all time. Having a body that does body things now becomes a godly thing because God did it. 
So we can't defile God. The exchange goes the other way. This woman needed to know that. Her culture didn't know that. Her religion didn't understand that. But there is no way she could defile other things. There is no reason for her to be excluded from the presence of God because when she comes into it, she's cleansed. So that's a massive leap forward for her and a massive leap forward for them in their understanding of God. And it's a massive leap forward for us in every time we think our humanness and our brokenness excludes us from God's presence. Because God would want to say, no, I cleanse you. That's the flow. You can't push back on me because I'm all over you. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's good news for us. That's good news for our humanness. That's good news for our bodies. That's good news for our brokenness. That God is just in that place cleansing us. When Jesus realized that power went out of him, he stops everyone and everything and the mission that he's on um, because for some reason. I mean, if I was writing this narrative and if I was writing it out of the church culture we exist in, I would be like writing things like, you know, Jesus felt power go out of him and so he stopped the crowd because he needed the testimony and he wanted everyone to know that something had happened and he was the one that needed to be adored. Yeah? No? Or like, I, I don't know, that's what I think we often imagine Jesus like, that he wants, to, like, you know, we have this sort of grand thing around testimonies. But I think, like, Jesus stops the whole crowd, not so that they know what's going on, but because he wants to encounter this woman face to face. He wants to see her. He's not satisfied with someone just getting the offcuts of his power because he's got power and it is for us and it's flowing everywhere and it's making waves everywhere he goes. But it's just not enough for Jesus. It's not enough that he's just going around healing people. He wants to see people and know them and encounter them face to face. So he's not just satisfied with some anonymous miracle. And, you know, that's good for her and it's good for him, but he wants to see her. So he stops the whole crowd and he's like, who touched me? And everyone's laughing at Jesus because everyone's touching him, but Jesus knows what's going on. Eventually she comes, she falls at his feet, she tells him the whole truth. Imagine the guts of that. She just pours out her heart in the last 12 years of her life. And Jesus says to her, I've forgotten, I should have memorized this bit. Go, my daughter. He calls her daughter. Um, or, yeah, <laughs> go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And he sets her free. But he wanted to see her face to face. And this is really important for us too because God just doesn't want you to be a sideline recipient of his power. He wants to know you face to face. And whatever mission God is on, however important it is, raising the dead, he will stop to see you face to face. And that is what Jesus reveals to us about the heart of God. That is good news for us. We're not a number to God. We're not a testimony. We're not a life that's been transformed. We're not a number on the mission stats. We're not just a task to do or a disciple to tick off. We are a person that God wants to know face to face. And he longs that for each one of us and that is good news and that is what this sick 
woman reveals to us. He doesn't want to shame her. He wants to see her. And he does. And if she was on the ground, I bet you he got on the ground face to face and blessed her and said, go in peace. Now we have the dead girl. Now, of course, she's pretty sick and (laughs) she dies. Uh, And she dies while Jesus is lingering with the outcast. So, you know, I don't know how many noses that put out of joint, but maybe a few. And people come in the midst of this exchange. Jesus got out his lovely face-to-face with the, with the sick woman. And they come and say, Jairus, your daughter is, is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. <laughs> like, it's, it's all over. It's beyond hope. There's, there's nothing else. And it says that Jesus overheard them, but that word can also be translated ignored. <laughs> Jesus just ignores them. Um, And he says, you know, don't worry, I'm coming anyway. And he gets there and he says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And everyone laughs at him, like ridicules him, like we know dead people, Jesus. We know sickness, we're familiar with death and we're pretty sure that this girl's dead. And he's just like not having one bar of this negative kind of like situation because Jesus sees something that they don't see and he knows something that they don't know and that is death is not the end. So he has a bigger picture of what's going on here than anything these humans do. And that is good news for us, that death is not the end. So Jesus goes anyway. And for all intents and purposes, reading and sitting with this narrative, the only person in this part of the story that has any faith or any hope is Jesus. He's the only one that thinks something's going to happen for the good. The family and friends are wailing in grief or laughing at Jesus. They do both. They're wailing, then they're laughing. Um, The disciples are doing what the disciples mostly did, which is just trundle around following Jesus with not much knowledge about what's going on. Um, And I presume they say nothing in this narrative. It's not like they're kind of like going, no, no, it's all right, don't worry. He's he's the Messiah, he's the Saviour. We've seen him heal other people. There's none of that. They're just following along in silence. The mother and the father are there, but they have nothing to say either. And so the only person with any hope is Jesus. And this is a miracle that happens solely on the faith of Jesus and nobody else. And that is good news for us because sometimes there are things and people and situations and places we go where we don't have hope and we don't have faith, but we can still be saved by the faith of Jesus. It's not our faith, it's his faith that makes things better. And that is really good news. Now, even if nobody has faith, God can still move. God can still move if nobody else in the room understands what's going on, if nobody else senses the truth, if nobody else has any idea and has no hope, God can still move. That's good news. I feel like that's good news. Both of these miracles, I love this about this story, both of these miracles are Last resort, last minute miracles. 
neither of the people in this story came to Jesus first. The woman spent all her money on doctors. Jairus, and look, maybe we could say, Jairus, you should know better, you're the synagogue leader. But presumably it's pretty last minute because she's on death's door and then she dies. So it's not like she got a cold, I went to go see Jesus. It's like she got sick, she's still not better, weeks go by, it looks like she's dying, you better go get that healer guy. Like their last minute miracles. And this is why I know we need to look at Jesus to know what God is like and not at other people. Um, because most of us get a kind of indication of what God is like from, from church, from our parents, from you know, other things around us. But we actually have to go to Jesus, and this is why. Because when my children come to me at the last minute and say, Mum, I've got a speech due tomorrow, my response is, well, you're not getting any help from me. You should have told me this on Friday afternoon, not Monday morning. We're busy and we've got things to do, so sorry you're on your own. Like, that's the love and grace and attention that my children have flowing out of me. But that's not God's response to this. Jesus doesn't say, oh my goodness, 12 years you've been trying other things? Really? Am I your last hope? I'm sorry, you should have come to me first. No miracle here. There's none of that in the heart of Jesus. There's none of that when Jairus comes to him, you know, teacher, my daughter is sick. Well, how sick? You know, am I, am I your first option? Is this Friday afternoon or is this Monday morning? Because I kind of want to know where we're at here. There's none of that. He's just like for us. And that's good news for those of us who take a little while getting to God with our needs and our questions and our brokenness. That's good news because I'd say there are many of us who try everything else and in the shame of not going to Jesus first, then think, I don't know that I should really pray about this because I should have prayed about this before and I haven't. And maybe we don't. But I want to tell you that Jesus shows us a God who is well okay with being last resort, last minute healer, because that's what he does. There is no condemnation There's no judgment about their timing. There's no judgment about their priorities. There's no questions about what else they've done. There's no ranting about not being a last-minute saviour. There's just a flow of love and grace and power towards all who ask. That is good news. God is judgment-free. And that's good news for us. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes you're a little bit slow getting around to ask God. Oh, and by the way, God, can you help me out with this? God seems to to take that in his stride. Everything about this passage reveals Jesus as good news. Jesus is good news. Jesus is good and he is for us. Jesus is good for the poor and the outcast. Jesus is good for those who are exploited by the system. Jesus is good for the underdog. Jesus is good for the rich. Jesus is good for the privileged. Jesus is good for those who want to be anonymous. Jesus is good for those who can't speak for themselves. 
Jesus is good for those at the end of their rope. Jesus is good for those who are desperate. Jesus is good for those who are audacious. Jesus is good for those who have nothing left. Jesus is good for those who have no faith because he's got enough faith for all of us. Jesus is good for those of us who have dead and dying things in our lives who can't speak for themselves or won't speak for themselves. And we need to remember this as people who pray for others, that Jesus is good news for the people we pray for because Jairus shows us that. He goes to Jesus on behalf of his daughter and Jesus heals his daughter. His daughter only died. That's her whole contribution to the story. But Jesus raises her up. And I can imagine that there are some of us in this place that have dead and dying things in our lives that can't speak for themselves. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's something where we know this person on their own bat is never going to cry out to God. Well, let me tell you, when you act like Jairus, and when you go on that person's behalf or that situation's behalf, when you reach out to Jesus, God has power. It's not contingent on that other person's faith or that other person's action, even if they know Jesus. God is for us, and he is with us, and he is good news for those of us who have nothing left. Isn't that good? Jesus is our life, our source, our hope, our faith. And we have to keep coming to him. We have to keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. He is for you. Those unanswered prayers you have, keep talking to Jesus. Those hopeless situations in your life, keep talking to Jesus. That stuff where you don't know what to do, keep talking to Jesus. Every place in your life where you're the underdog and the whole world is against you, Keep coming to Jesus because he is for you. It doesn't matter if the world's against you when Jesus is for you. Keep coming to him. He's your source. He's your life. He's our wellspring. We need to keep coming to him because he is good and he is for us. And I want us in finishing to come to Jesus in communion and I want us to take in Jesus And I want us as God's people to reach out in our own way this afternoon with the things in us and the things around us and in this moment reach out to Jesus because he is everything and he is good news. And when we take him in, he has power and he changes. Those things in us that are dying and dead and broken and those situations and people around us that are dying and dead and broken. So we're going to do that, and I'm going to just invite you to come and receive the bread and the, the wine or the juice, and I want you to just maybe go back to your chair, and I want you in your own space with what's going on inside of you to just reach out to Jesus. And maybe you need to have a conversation with him about what's going on. Maybe you want to have a 
have a, you have a question for him, maybe you want to pray on someone else's behalf. But I want you in this moment to see yourself like that woman who's reaching out for Jesus and grabbing a hold of the end of his cloak and letting the power flow towards you. Because this is our Jesus, broken for us, poured out for us, that we might partake in who he is. Is that all right? So we're going to do that. I want you to come out and receive communion. Michael's going to play a song, and um, once we've um, once we've eaten and, and drunk, I want to invite you to um, stand and sing. I want to invite you to come and ask for prayer. Uh, you can come and ask me to pray with you. You might want to ask the person next to you to pray with you, or if you just want to keep eating and drinking and soaking in Jesus, you just do that because he's good news for you this afternoon. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, Jesus is good news, yeah? Let me pray for us. Father God, we come to you We know that Jesus reveals that you are good, that you are for us, that you are with us, that you have power and it's flowing outward from who you are. And so, Father God, we reach out towards you tonight. We reach out to you with all our need. We reach out to you with all our brokenness. We reach out to you with our sickness. We reach out to you on behalf of other people. And Father God, we just ask for your power to flow to us and through us. And Jesus, as we come to your table and as we eat and as we drink, we remember that your speciality is dead things because you raise them up and you yourself dived down deep into death and you blew it up from the inside and you conquered it and you reigned victorious and so Jesus we know that we can come to you with all the dead things in our life and trust you with resurrection so we come God not always in our own faith by your faith, Jesus, that we may be cleansed and healed and made new. So as we eat and drink tonight, Jesus, we look to you. Amen.